Have you ever made an assumption in your life before that uh, you came to realize I made the wrong assumption? You know, I thought it was this way and now it's this way, or I thought it was going to go like this and it ends up going like this. And I think most of us have made assumptions before, and a lot of times we make those assumptions around things that are very familiar in our life. And we think, figure we have it all figured out. Christmas is one of those stories I believe that a lot of us make assumptions about. You ever thought about maybe asking somebody on the street about what they thought about Christmas? People that you don't know. They have all kinds of explanations, and many of them know basically the story that we just saw portrayed back here in the manger, the the crucifixion, and baby Jesus came, and they know different parts about the story. Some people don't know at all. Some people equate Christmas with commercialism and all the things that go on around Christmas time and the busyness of life. And But uh, there's so much more to the Christmas story than what we see here portrayed behind me. In 1983, 5,000 people staged a riot outside of Chesterton, West Virginia. People are knocking each other down. They're kicking each other. They're shoving. They're grabbing. The same, very same thing happened on the same day in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. A thousand people there, though, turned to violence. And even a lady broke her leg when she fell down and she was trampled. Do you remember what caused that back in 1983? Remember the Cabbage Patch doll? Isn't that amazing that people would knock each other out and struggle and slug each other and push each other down to get to make sure they got the first or the second or the 50th Cabbage Patch doll. Do you know the commercialization and that's basically run amok, for, unfortunately, but gifts are not wrong. I'm here to tell you. In fact, the reason we give God gifts here from the Christian perspective is that God gave. And so giving a gift to somebody else is an incredible pleasure and treat. And it can be a joy-filled, it can be a great godly experience by blessing somebody else. And that's what God wants us to do. Do you know we get confused sometimes about things, and we just don't really understand what it's all about. Sometimes I believe that the enemy has busyness as part of his agenda at Christmas time. We get so busy, we really miss the Christmas story. So we enter into this Christmas season this year. I want to take time for just a moment. Reverberating back there? Turn it off. How's this one? Better? Gotcha. Thanks, guys. But we get confused with uh, what Christmas is really all about because we get so busy sometimes. The true story of Christmas is not something that just happened on one day, not something that even happened in a week or in a season. Christmas story didn't even have everything to do with the crucifixion. There's so much more. Christmas is not about just the shepherds or Mary and Joseph. The true story is what we're going to read about in our text this morning that comes out of Luke 2. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning, if you will, to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. As you find your way there, stand with me, if you will, this morning out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, and this is what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. Verse 10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, or good news, of great joy, which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, I pray that we'd all, Father, see Christmas maybe in a new light this morning, Father, but we'd live this season, Father, for your glory. We'd live this season, Father, and realize, Lord, that the greatest Christmas verse that there's ever been is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God, we thank you that you loved us that much. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. And, Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we pray it all in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Do not behold, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Good tidings, good news of great joy. You know what that is? That's the gospel, good news. It's the same word. Gospel and good news. God sent the gospel to earth. God sent the gospel, which means that Jesus Christ lived, he died, he was buried in a broad tomb, he rose on the third day, and he lives in heaven today. But more than that, the gospel and its good news for you and I is the fact that we have life. We can have peace. We can have joy. We can have power. We have God living in us. That's what the Christmas story is all about, the gospel. I bring you the gospel of great joy. That's what that, meant. That's what that sentence says. The gospel is truly the Christmas story. We have the greatest story the world's ever told to tell people. Regardless of your life circumstances, regardless of the pain or the problems or the brutality or the shame and the guilt you carry, we need to look beyond that to Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's why he came, that we can have this life here in this world. God gave us life when he came to this earth in a manger. Christmas changed my life. I imagine it changed your life as well. God came into my life. It wasn't just about the manger or even the crucifixion. It was the fact that he lives in heaven today and he desires to have a personal relationship with you and I, that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe, the God who created it all. God gave us this gift at Christmas morning when he sent his son into this world. It says, I'm giving you the gospel, which is great joy. What is joy? Joy is a gift from God. Joy does not depend upon our circumstances. Pain and pleasure does not give joy. God gives joy. We can have happiness, which is a kind of a worldly thing with good things happening in our life. Listen very carefully. God desires for you and I to experience his joy in the hardest, most difficult times of our life. Many of us go through those things. Think about Christmas time. We talked about it a minute ago. This is a hard time of the year. There's more suicides in America in, in the month of December than any other time. There's more people that are depressed or despondent, discouraged, feel like giving up. They feel like they have no hope. It all comes to the surface in Christmas time. Why? Because Christmas is a time of joy. They see other families experiencing great times. Maybe they don't have a family. Maybe they've left a, lost a family member. I'm pondering that right now in my own life. I lost my father this last year. I'm concerned about my mom because she's so lonely. It's a lonely time of the year sometimes. Because why? Because Christmas represents joy. Joy is a gift from God. Are you living with joy right now? Too many times we miss that part at Christmas time. Why? Because we get so busy. It is a busy time of the year. There's parties to go to, affairs to go to, buying of gifts, setting up the Christmas tree. That's a major busy time in and of itself. But those are all important things. But we don't want to miss the gospel of Jesus Christ at Christmas time. I love this. It comes from the Apostle John. We're going to look at a couple of his writings here this morning. 15th chapter, verse 9. 
Jesus Christ is talking to his apostles in the upper room. It's the night before he gets crucified. And he's counting, and you can imagine all the conversations there. We know about many of them because they're in the Bible here. But Jesus Christ is wanting to take this last opportunity to pour the most important things on his heart into his apostles. Why? Because they're going to be the ones that carry on the mission. Who are we? We're the ones that carry on the mission as well. And Jesus Christ wants us to know these truths. And I want you to hear this out of John 15, verse 9. It says, as, and Jesus, this is Jesus talking, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus Christ is saying, I love you. I want you to abide in that love. I want you to bask in that love. I want you just to live in the midst of my love because I love you so very much. Then he goes on and says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He's telling us how to live in his love. It's keep my commandments. Follow my word. Stand where I've asked you to stand in this world based on the holy word of God. We can experience God's love more and more every day the more we get into God's word. Standing on his word in a great way. He says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Jesus was the same as us. He followed his Father's word. He walked in his God in his Father's commandments and abided in his love. Now listen to this. This is huge in this verse. Verse 11. It says, these things I have spoken to you. This is Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. You've heard that verse before. Jesus is telling his apostles, he's telling you and I, he said, I want my joy to abide in you. I want you to live in my joy. I want you to live in my love. But I want you to experience that joy in your life. You know, too many of us walk around and there's a lot of things in this world can discourage us. I can't walk, watch Fox News anymore in about 15 minutes without getting seriously discouraged. Then I realize who's still in control. But there's a lot of things this world discourages. A lot of events, a lot of circumstances that discourage us. But God's saying right here, he says, I want my joy to abide in you. I want you to have joy. But he said, I just don't want you to have joy. I want your joy to be full. I want to fill you up with my joy. He wants you to walk around and everything that comes out of you is an overflow of the joy that he's put in you. That's where God wants us to be. God wants us to experience joy at Christmas time. I had the occasion yesterday, got to go down, and this is a real blessing, got to go down and babysit my grandson for about five hours. Wasn't permitted to do it by myself. I had to take Amy with me. My daughter is not stupid. She wants somebody that knew what she was doing there. I got to play with him. As soon as he started crying or he probably needed a clean diaper. Amy, I think Billy's calling your name. But driving down there and driving back, I got to drive through Short Pump. At Christmas time, basically the Christmas service right yesterday. See some of you grinning, you already know what I'm going to say, right? I drove, a, I drove a delivery truck for a year out of high school down in Washington, D.C. to deliver government printing things to all the government agencies. So I'm a great tour guide down there. I can tell you where the Department of Interior and the Department of Commerce are, all the buildings you don't really care about. But um, there were some rude drivers in Washington, D.C., but they pale in comparison to drivers in short pump. I'm here to tell you. Some, I'm sorry if you live in Short Pump. It wasn't you. I didn't see you down there, but there were some seriously rude drivers. And I'm thinking, where's the joy, you know? I, I, I waited for like 15 minutes to get out of a little parking lot because nobody stopped for a second to give me in. You know, by the time the stoplight stopped and they all pulled up, sir. But it was a great experience, and it was a great trial of Is Gary really a pastor? I, was, I, I tell you what, I passed the test yesterday. I was nice. Didn't uh, do what I felt like doing. I had, some, I had my thoughts. You're okay with to have thoughts. But where's the joy at Christmas time? Do you experience the joy at Christmas time? Do you really understand what it's all about? You know, you've heard this before, but every day should be Christmas in our lives. Why? Because we have a risen Savior. We have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have life. We have life because of what happened on that Christmas day some 2,000 years ago. 
I want you to ponder that thought for just a second. That Jesus Christ came to this world to give us life. And I, maybe help us illustrate this morning, I want to talk about light a little bit. You know, if you think about the fact that Jesus is here before the beginning. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. You know what? There's a beginning before that beginning. Because God was here. We don't know what it's all about. We don't know what's going on. But God was here before the beginning, before he created light. You know who else was here with him? Jesus and the Holy Spirit were here as well. You can read about the Holy Spirit in verse 2. It's here, but Jesus was there too. John 1-1, in the beginning the Word was with God. The Word was God. From the very beginning of time, God was planning to send Jesus. You can read about it in Genesis, the third chapter, verse 15. The first recognition of Jesus Christ, you call it Christology. Where you see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Let me take a little advertisement here for a second. Anytime you read the Old Testament, I want you to do this. I want you to look for Jesus Christ on every single page, okay? And you'll see him. It may not be a direct, uh, direct Christology about him, but there'll be something there that kind of points us towards the future. Jesus Christ was here from the very beginning. God was planning for Jesus to come some 2,000 years ago in this earth, on that hilltop above Bethlehem there. All the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ, they say there's more than 246 of them that speak to Jesus Christ being here and being born and died. But there's some that specifically talk about Jesus Christ being light. And I want to talk about light for just a second this morning as we understand the gospel and what we're to be about at Christmas time and the light of Christmas. In Isaiah, Jesus was a fulfillment of God's plan. And in chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah wrote, But God is speaking to us. The people who walked in darkness, speaking about the nation of Israel, have seen a great light. And he's talking about Jesus coming. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He's, he's projecting Jesus Christ coming, the light of the world. Some 2,000 years after that and 2,000 years ago from now, the Apostle John also wrote about light in a number of places. In fact, he wrote about light 16 different times in the Gospel of John, more than any other of the Gospel writers. But in John, John 1, very first chapter, verses 4 and 5, John says this about Jesus Christ, speaking about in him, that's Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You know, if you think about the contrast and the contrariness between light and darkness, in your mind's eye, you understand when you have a pitch black room and somebody walks into a candle, there's light. Light illuminates that room, maybe not big. Or they come up with a big searchlight or a big spotlight. It's going to illuminate that light altogether. But have you ever seen a light room where darkness comes in and it turns the light out? Doesn't happen. Darkness cannot diminish light, but light can diminish and drown out darkness. Jesus Christ came into a dark world and he became light for you and I. The darkness, it says, could not comprehend that. We'll talk about that in a second. But Jesus Christ is light of the world. Jesus Christ came in for you and I to see light. Psalms 114 verse 2 says this, Under the upright there arises light in the darkness. You know what that says? That says when I walk upright, which means when I try to walk like Jesus Christ, we're never going to be like him, perfectly, perfectly 90 degree angle, but we need to struggle. We're, we're flat out before we meet Christ, and we begin growing and start looking more like that. We need to stand in an upright way, stand in a way that we point people to God. When we do that, you know what God does? He illuminates our life with more light. Maybe you've had this experience in your life before that uh, you've been growing in your faith, and all of a sudden you're seeing things I've never seen before. I'm looking at people like I've never looked at them before. 
I'm realizing I'm seeing these people like God sees them. I don't look at them like crumb bums or cheese doodles. I look at them as God's precious person. Even though they're mean to me or rude or whatever, I'm looking at them with a broken heart like God does. That person, I don't need to be mean to them because they've been mean to me. You know what I need to do? I need to pray for them. I need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them that they could get changed. It's not their fault. They're living in the darkness. You know what's sad sometimes? To see Christians living in the darkness too, even though they got the light inside. Christians that have turned off the light of Christ in their life because they're more, more interested in doing what they want to do. I've shared this before, but any time we get mad or angry, you know what we do? We're turning off the light and putting the darkness on. We kick Jesus Christ off the throne of our life and we put ourselves back up there. Why? Because I deserve to get mad. I deserve to be angry. deserve not to forgive this person. Because you don't know how bad it hurt. You don't know how bad they did this to me or how brutal it was what they did to me. Listen very much. Listen very carefully. God knows. And God's a big enough God to give you the grace and the mercy and the strength and the power to do that. To keep the light shining. The problem in America today, with all the problems we have, and we talk about those all the time, all the problems that America has today is that we've allowed the enemy to turn the light out. Let's not put the light in schools because, God forbid, the kids don't kill people in schools. Let's not put the Ten Commandments in courthouse because we don't want to really have God intervene in the affairs of men. We want to figure out our own way. Well, we've pretty much seen what the Supreme Court of the land, I hate to use that word with that court, what they figured out on their own, how sad that this country is going a direction because America has turned the light out on God. It's time for you and I to turn the light even brighter, to let our bright light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify God in the, in the heaven. Listen, Jesus says, great, great Jesus says, serve on the mountain. God desires for you and I to shine our light. The light shines into the darkness. You know, sometimes in the course of our day-to-day life, darkness comes into years of my life because of fear, because of desperation, because of failure in our life. Remember what the angels said when they showed up on that hilltop? The, angel, uh, the shepherds were all afraid, but the angel says, do not be afraid. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because I'm bringing you good news of great joy. You know what they're saying there? And if you look at the, at the English participles there, and you look at the way that that statement put together, they're saying forever. You don't need to be afraid forever because why? Because I'm bringing the, the good news that just showed up. The gospel just showed up in this world. And it's great joy, bringing joy to you and I. There's too many of us live in quiet desperation. Too many of us live lives that's filled with fear. Too many of us live with hopelessness. The angel says, do not be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. God has given us victory over fear. And yet we still fear. San Bernardino, I'm sure it broke your heart as well as mine. It's just tragic. Broke my heart. Paris broke my heart. There's a lot of people out there that do not believe in God. A lot of Christians that have turned their back on God. And you know what the question they're asking? Why God? Why, God? People making statements like this that how could a loving God do these things? Well, God didn't do that. You know what God did? God created us in his own image. He gave you and I our own will that we can do whatever we want. We can not kill people or we can kill people. We obviously know the right thing to do. But it's sad that there's so many people so immersed in the darkness of this world that they don't know right from wrong. You don't need to be a Christian to realize that killing another person is just wrong. It's morally wrong. It's written in the laws that it's wrong. Whether you have God or not, that's wrong. But they've immersed themselves so far in the darkness that they've fallen off. 
It's all that much more reason that you and I need to be that light. We need to shine that light in this world that people might see it. The question that we need to be asking about San Bernardino, about all the things going on in our nation right now, God, how would you use me to make a difference? How would you use me to help somebody else understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? How would you help, use me to help somebody else understand truth and light? There's a lot of confused people out there. We see it. Anytime you see those articles that are written, look at all the blogs or all the whatever they do, Facebooks or whatever after they put them. It's amazing how confused people are. Just totally confused today. Heard a funny story about confusion. A man went to the doctor and he burned both of his ears really bad, severely. Walked in and the doctor said, hey, man, your ears look horrible. That's horrible. That must really hurt. What happened? The guy says, I feel kind of stupid telling this story. He said, I was at home in my kitchen ironing. And he said, the phone rang. And I answered the phone with an iron instead of the phone. The doctor said, that's horrible, horrible. Well, how'd you burn the second ear? Guy said he called back. There's a lot of confused people in this world, okay? Just to tie this illustration into our little story here, there's a lot of people walking around out there with two burned ears right now. They're just confused about truth. Why? Because we haven't taken the opportunity to tell them. There's people in our sphere of influence that do not understand the truth. There's people in our sphere of influence that don't know the understand the meaning of Christmas. I shared with you before that Years ago, I went to the jails on a Christmas morning. My kids were a little, and I asked them just to, we could open the presents, get up real early and do it, open them Christmas Eve or after I get back. Let's do it when you get back, Dad. So I went to the jail, had 19 guys show up my Bible study that morning, and nine of them got saved that morning. But you know, there was two guys in that room when I started the whole Bible study that morning that had never heard the Christmas story. One guy was mid-30s, the other guy was 40-something. Lived in America their whole life. They're Americans. Lived their whole life. One of them in Richmond, one of them in Northern Virginia, if I remember right, had never, ever, ever heard this story. The manger, the donkey, Mary, the Virgin Mary. Never heard it. How can you live in America today and never hear, hear the real Christmas story? It's possible. I believe there's more people now than there were 15 years ago or so when I taught that Bible study. The Apostle John wrote, as I mentioned a minute ago, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I don't want us to look at that second part of that verse for just a second here. Darkness cannot, even though it tries, comprehend the light. Do you hear that? Darkness cannot comprehend the light. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the hearts of the non-believers. What does that mean? It means that they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't see the light. And Satan's blinded them that. You'd see all kinds of people walking around out there. They don't even stop to ponder the question, is there a Jesus Christ? Is there life after death? God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded them. But I want to look at that. I was curious about that verse, comprehend. And I looked it up, and there's actually three, three definitions of that verse, and they all fit. The first definition based on the Greek is understand. It says, and the darkness did not understand it. We can appreciate that. They just didn't understand Jesus Christ. Maybe it had never taken the time to understand it. Maybe they just didn't feel like digging into it, realize what it was, but they don't understand it. They can't understand Christmas and Christ because they just don't understand. The second definition, which I really like, strong definition, is that grasp. Comprehend means to grasp. And the darkness did not grasp it. It's amazing here. We cannot grasp it. 
Understanding Jesus Christ comes as a gift through the Holy Spirit. We can't grasp the gospel. We can't grasp Christmas no matter how hard we try. We're never going to fully understand Christmas like you and I do. We don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ until we accept Jesus. We understand what it means, but we don't fully understand it until we accept it and come to realize who Jesus is and what he did and what he does today for my life and how he's changed me. You ever wonder why Christianity is such, under such attack? You ever understand why they're doing all kinds of things? I don't know if you've noticed it here these last couple weeks here. Phenomenal stories coming out in the press all the place where they're just turning down people that want to put a manger scene up or want to put a Christmas carol up or want to do a Christmas carol as part of their school play or little kids got kicked out of school because they wanted to share Jesus in their Christmas play. I saw five girls paint this phenomenal painting, five different paintings and put them together at the end of it as a, a cross, Jesus on a cross. They wanted to do that for their school talent show after hours in a public school. They wouldn't let them. Why? Because of separation of church and state. I want you to hear this, and I'm going to share this with you in a couple of weeks. Everything I've read about is unconstitutional. They cannot do that. You know, what, what's happened in our public schools and our public square and because of the liberal press and all these things is because they realize separation of church and state. And so you know how you're building a fence on your property and you want to make sure that it's exactly what, you know, what it's supposed to be between your two properties because in case there's a future tenant next door to you, you don't have to move it. So sometimes we actually even cheat a little bit and put it six inches on the side of our property or move it a foot inside. You know what the schools have done? They've moved that fence line about two miles onto our territory, saying you can't do anything. I don't want to deal with these things out there. Why? Because I'm afraid. You know what it is? They can't grasp that little baby in the manger. He's too big for them. They can't grasp it. That's why they come against Christianity today. Jesus Christ is just too big for them to handle. They don't come against Muhammad. They don't come against Buddha or any of the Hindu gods, 300 million Hindu gods. Who do they come against? The only one that's alive, the only one that lives, the one that was born in a manger and died on a cross and lives in heaven today. Coming against him because he's too big to grasp. They can't grasp it in their little finite minds. I can't grasp him either. Do you know because they can't wrap their little arms around him and put him in a little box like they can Hindu or Buddha or Muhammad. They want to give all kinds of tolerance to them, but they do not tolerate Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's alive. Because they realize that he changes lives. They realize there's a power way beyond theirs there. They're no longer God. They're no longer the secular humanists in this world that I'm God. I don't need a God because I'm brilliant enough to be God. It's time for you and I to let the world see our light shine. I told you there's a third definition. Understand was number two. Grasp was number three. And I love this one, overcome. And the darkness did not overcome the light. Darkness can't overcome it. If you think for just a moment in the realm of physics and relativity, there's never been an experience where darkness has entered into a room lit with light and put out the light. It doesn't happen. Jesus told his, us that his mission was that he was the son of man. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. I want you to know if you're here today, maybe a little bit nervous because the pastor's talking about Jesus Christ and talking about salvation and those sort of things. And, or maybe you came here today with a precious friend. They invited you, and they've been pestering you too with the gospel of Jesus Christ and kind of always talking about it. Don't blame me. Don't blame your friend. Blame that little baby in the manger. He started all when he came to this earth. God knew that you and I needed God. He knew that we needed to see that God is real. 
He knew that we needed to have something happen in our life that would be a payment for the sins of our life. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into our life because He knew that we needed God. And He sent His Son here to be God for some 33 years. He sent His Son here to die. From the very beginning of time, Jesus Christ was destined to die upon that cross. He knew it when He was born. He knew that was where God was leading him, where he'd go. You know, there's nothing simple about birth. I've been at uh, three births. My wife's birthing our children. There's nothing simple about that. This was not a simple birth of Jesus Christ. This was an invasion. God invaded the world. He came as a man. He came as a God. There have been 400 years between the book of Malachi and the last prophet speaking and God speaking to the nation of Israel. In this time, they hadn't heard from God for a long time. They were confused. They were mixed up. They were separated from God by their sin, but also by their lack of understanding. They were trapped behind enemy lines. And I, as I've studied Jerusalem at this time of year and, and, and Judea this time of uh, in, in history there, 2,000 years ago, I'm here to tell you the parallel of the Israelites at that time in America today is profound. I'd actually say it was worse back then. They'd pretty much given up on God because why? Because they hadn't heard from Him. People in America have given up on God too because they don't believe in Him. But it was a horrible time. So God said that time was right. He said that in His holy word that time was right when He sent Jesus Christ into this world. Jesus came as a baby, but He finished as God. He rose from that grave. We have an incredible privilege to be followers of Him. All of our greatest needs, everything that we need, were met that starry night on the hillside outside Bethlehem when Jesus Christ was proclaimed that he was here and born in that major. I want you to think about the three things that you and I need today, that everybody needs today. We need forgiveness from our past. Many of us probably have some regrets. I do. I'm sure you do some. But we need to be forgiven for the mistakes we've made. Maybe the mistake was this morning or yesterday. It doesn't have to be that far back. But we need forgiveness of sins. We also all need strength to live today. There's a lot of people living around out there and walking around out there that don't know if they get through this day. They don't know if they want to get to this day. Why? Because life has just been so hard and so brutal. They wonder why they're still here. Why am I still here? Why am I still here? And the third thing people need is hope for tomorrow. I need to get past my past. I need forgiveness. I need to have strength to live today. And I need to have hope for the future. I need to realize that God has a plan. Is there a plan for my life? You bet. I might not know it. I might not even be looking for it. But God has a plan for our life. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God has a plan for every one of us. But we need God to see those things. Listen very carefully. God's plan is perfect. It is just like the birth of his manger, baby uh, Jesus in that manger. His plan is perfect. His plan is perfect. You know, it behooves you and I to figure out his plan and walk in it. Because why? Because I'd like to have close to a perfect life. It'd never be perfect, but I'd like to kind of be in the middle of God's perfection, the middle of God's will. What an amazing love God has for you and I, that he'd send his only son. Christ did not come in this world and die upon that cross that you and I could have an average life. Never met a Christian that planned to have a mediocre life. God's called you and I to greatness. He's called you and I to extraordinary things. He's called you and I to live a life that makes a difference in this world. Some of us may be feeling right now, in fact, I deal with a number of men that meet, meet their 
midpoint in life, 50 years old or so, and they're a little discouraged because life didn't turn out the way they thought it was going to turn out. They thought they'd be a CEO of some company or some big whatever it might be. So they kind of feel a little bit bad about it. I think ladies don't do it quite as much, but they do too. My expectations of my life had not been met. I'm discouraged. You know what? God still has a plan for your life. Maybe you're chasing after the wrong things. How sad if we get to the end of our life and we're laying in the hospital and the doctor says, you probably don't have too many days left. We realize I spent my time all these years doing the wrong things. I didn't get where I wanted to get, and I was doing the wrong things. question is, where do you want to get? There is no greater calling on your life and my life than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater calling on yours and my life than to help somebody figure out eternity. Is there life after death? There's people in your life that you're going to talk to and meet that I'll never meet. None of our deacons will ever meet them, but they're, they're, they're in your life. God's put them in your life that you might be able to encourage them and show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has called you and I out to be that light. You know, there was a philosopher a number of years ago by the name of Nitschke. And he proclaimed that God is dead. He's dead and Nitschke's dead and gone. But he proclaimed, and you know what he's known for? He's known for making that statement. Nothing else. He was a philosopher, probably wrote all kinds of other garbage. But he's only known for that one little tidbit of non-truth. How would you like to have that be your legacy? That I said God is dead, and that's what I remember for all time. That God is dead. Well, he was wrong. You know that, and I know that. I know that certainly because of the things I've read, read his holy word, read the history of him, seen all uh, supporting documents of the Holy Bible here. I know he's alive because of that, but more than that, more than that, and you know this as well as I do, I know he's alive because of changed lives beginning with mine. As a pastor and as a Christian, I've seen so many changed lives that I realize only God could do that. Only God could do that. Maybe you're here today and you're realizing, I'm living in a mess right now. Maybe my marriage isn't right. I've got a child running in the wrong direction. My friends are all gone. My work is falling apart. Whatever it might be. But listen, God's big enough to fix that. God wants to change life. God wants to give you the resurrection power. What does that mean? Give life to something that you've written off as dead. Something that you think is gone. It's forgotten. It's, it's history. Nobody cares. Yes, they do. God cares. God cares so much he gave you his son upon that cross. He left you the Holy Spirit. God wants to do a marvelous job in your life. I want to share this couple things in concluding. You know why... I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you know why, truly, why Christmas is such a sad month? People are missing Christ. People are missing the meaning of Christmas, and they enter the Christmas season, and they're lost. They're confused. Many of them are sad, or they feel very discouraged or depressed because their life isn't going very well. And at Christmas time, it just seems to bring that to the surface, so they end up killing themselves. They end up having a horrible Christmas. I want to share with you this morning three very specific ways that we can change people's lives at Christmas. First and foremost, at Christmas time, most people are open to you praying with them. They're open to you praying with them. I've shared with you my little restaurant thing where I ask a waitress, say, we're getting ready to eat our meal. Can I pray for you today? Is there something we can pray for you about? They all say something. Sometimes they'll stop there. They'll think, and sometimes it's very profound. My grandfather's getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to break up with my wife. I've heard them all. But you know what they love? They, they, it puts them, first of all, in shock. 
somebody wants to bring God into this restaurant right now. They want to talk about God here in the middle of Chili's or in the middle of Applebee's or whatever it might be. Yes, I want to bring God right here. Number one, though, people are more open to pray with you at Christmas time. Either it's because they're discouraged and depressed or they realize what Christmas is all about. Yeah, I want to talk to Jesus right now. Let's talk to him. Thank God for sending Jesus. The second thing. This time of year, they're opening. Oh, they're open about to talk about the Christmas story. You know how you break into that? Tell me about your Christmas experience. Your family getting together for Christmas. How do you celebrate Christmas? They'll tell you about that, and that's kind of neat. Maybe you can pick up some thoughts from their their story there. And then, hey, can I tell you about my Christmas? Can I tell you about my Christmas? Oh yeah, please do. You know, they, you're sharing. You got that relationship built because you've just shown interest in their life and asked them about Christmas. Could be a coworker. Could be your neighbor. They're open to praying. They're open to hearing about the Christmas story and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, they're open to come to church if you invite them. Especially, the statisticians would tell you, especially Christmas Eve. We do a Christmas Eve service here, 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve. But also, the 20th, the Sunday before that, or next week, the 13th, having all kids here. They're open to come to hear about Jesus Christ if you invite them. We have an incredible gift from God. I bring you great Good news of great time, of great joy. God has given us this incredible gift, the gospel. Christmas is the gospel.